Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 2. And if you don't, uh, I think maybe it'll be on the PowerPoint. But if, if not, it'll probably be a story that you're very familiar with. I want you to think about this. I want you to think, whatever is your favorite story, uh, the Harry Potter series, or all the Avenger movies, or maybe you like the DC movies better, or whatever it is, your favorite story, whether it's in movie form, book form, whatever it may be, there's always a good guy and a bad guy, ultimately, right? There, there's a good team and a bad team. And the reality is, what the Bible tells us is that really, all of life on planet Earth that we're in the middle of, it's a war. It may not look like a war. It may look like it's peacetime and everything's fun and easy and here we are getting to eat pizza and hang out and play games and sing songs. But the Bible says that since the Garden of Eden, that humanity has been locked in this struggle. It's kind of cosmic war. There's a good team, there's a bad team, and the question is, which team are you on? And that's what we want to look at tonight. So we're going to start out looking at the good team. So Genesis chapter 2, and looking at verse 15, this is right after God had first made the first man, Adam. Genesis 2.15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And what we're going to find out about is that the Garden of Eden was a wonderful place. How many of you have ever been on a cruise? Let's see a show of hands. Been on a cruise, okay. And how many of you on that cruise, they like, you know, hey, we kind of have like a private island that only like Royal Caribbean trips, uh, cruise ships can go to, and you get off and there's like water parks and buffets to eat and places where you can get cold drinks and hammocks and little lagoons. It's like a pleasure park in a sense. And that's a little bit like what the Garden of Eden was. God made the Garden of Eden to be like a paradise for human beings. And He put Adam there to take care of it. Verse 16. And the Lord God, and let me point this out. This is important. In most English translations of the Bible, when you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, and it's in all caps, what that, that's God's personal name, Yahweh in Hebrew. But what it means is God is a real person. And he's a loving person. He's a kind person. And he wants to have relationship with human beings. He made us to exist in relationship with him. And when you see God in the Bible referred to as Lord or Lord God, that's what it's trying to emphasize. God as a relational being coming close to his people. So God and Adam in the Garden of Eden. And God in a very warm and relational way says to him, Genesis 2, 16, And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Now just stop there. Basically, he says, hey Adam, look as far as the eye can see, buddy. You see all those trees, all the fruits, all the vegetables, everything out there? It's like a 24-7, all-you-can-eat buffet. Knock yourself out. Literally, again, if you could read this in the Hebrew, the Hebrew didn't have exclamation points. So if you wanted to emphasize something, you just put the same word back to back. So literally what God said is, hey, Adam, guess what? You see all this food? You can eat it. 
And literally it's devour, devour. And he said, go to town. Knock yourself out. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be, the food looks good. The food tastes good. The food is good. There's no chemicals or poison. It's all great for you. Knock yourself out. Eat freely. Enjoy. But then he does say, verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So again, eat whatever you want, Adam. It's all yours. Knock it out. Enjoy. Devour, devour. There's one tree, though. Don't eat from that tree. Eat from that one tree, and you'll die. Here's something, and I heard somebody else say this, and I wish I could remember who, but this is so important. A lot of times, I bet most of us have heard this story before, right? And I bet if I'd come in tonight and said, hey, what was it that God said to Adam about the trees? My guess is that somebody would raise their hand, finally, a bold person, and they'd say, don't eat from the one tree, right? We all remember that part, because it's pretty important, because we know what's about to happen. But what we often forget is, before God said that, He said, you can eat anything else you want. He's so generous. He's lavish. It's insane how good He is to us. He's the God of a thousand yeses before He's ever the God of one no. But we don't always think that way. Verse 18. Keep going. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. We won't read it. But He tells Adam, Basically, this is kind of my translation. He says, hey Adam, take a nap, buddy. And when you wake up, i got a really big surprise for you. And just think about it, guys, from my perspective. Up until that point, Adam had been hanging out with porcupines, grizzly bears, dolphins. I mean, some pretty cool animals. But he was all by himself. And sometimes I think, especially in high school, we come to an event like this and we think, you know, well, I know my parents made me come. I didn't want to come. And, you know, part of what it means to be a Christian, I'm going to have to give up my friends and just hang out with losers, which basically means I'll just hang out by myself and be a loner. Friday nights will stink. I'll just sit at home with mom and dad and watch whatever boring TV they watch. We, we kind of think what it means to be a godly person is basically we're going to be like a monk or a nun. Our life is going to be terrible. It's going to be over. But God is the one that invented the idea of best friends. God said, hey, Adam, take a nap. And when you wake up, i got this crazy surprise for you. It's called woman. And Adam woke up and he saw her. And he's like, hey, I don't want to hang out with grizzly bears anymore. I like girls. This is better. And literally, again, we're not taking time to read at night. He starts singing. It's the first recorded words a human being ever spoke. And he starts singing. And sometimes Bible teachers argue, was it a song or was it a poem? Now you listen, you may be the biggest, toughest football player, whatever, and you're like, I don't, I don't read poetry. But again, if you've been hanging out with porcupines your whole life, and then God said, hey, i got a surprise for you. It's called a girl. You've been writing poetry, buddy. You've been real happy. Now look at what it says in verse 25. Skip down to the end of the chapter. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And guys, that's telling us more than just they didn't have any clothes on in the Garden of Eden. And they're married, so that's alright. Okay? It's telling us this. They were fully innocent, and they were fully happy. They had nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing between them. They didn't have to be fake. They didn't have to try to put their best foot forward. They could just be totally themselves. They could let their hair down, so to speak. They felt fully accepted. Now I want you to just think for a second about whoever your best friend is in life. 
And maybe it is a brother or sister, a mom or a dad, or maybe it's a buddy or you know, a girl at, the, at your high school. And you this person's my best friend. We're so close, we're so tight. But I guarantee you, there's probably one or two things they don't know about you, right? I ain't talking to them about that. And he's not, no, I share everything. I share everything. Okay. Do they ever get on your nerves? Right? Just wait until about 48 hours when you hadn't had any sleep at the end of this weekend, right? They'll be on your nerves then. You know, like, I don't care that he's my best friend. I don't want to see him again until school starts. I'm going to punch him in the face. Right? At some point, we get on each other's nerves. Even in marriage, that happens. But in the Garden of Eden, perfect fellowship with God. Perfect fellowship with the creation. Eat whatever you want. Perfect fellowship with one another. It was, it was glorious. This is the good guys. The good team. But it doesn't stop there. we got to look at the bad team. Let's look at chapter 3. Starting verse 1 there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? Did you notice something there? When Satan, and we all know this, right? This is Satan. This is the devil disguised as a snake. And when he talks about God, because basically what he's doing is he's trying to come and recruit Adam and Eve to the bad team, come to the dark side, young Skywalker, so to speak. He doesn't talk about God as the Lord God, the relational God, the friendly God, the warm God, the inviting God. He just says, he's just God. He's just a man in the sky. He's just the one with all the power. And he's trying to keep you down. He's a tyrant. You can't trust him. What's with all these rules? He's actually making you work in the garden and then you don't get to eat the fruit of your labor? That's not fair. That doesn't seem right. And guys, think about, again, your favorite story, your favorite movie, whatever it is. And a lot of times part of what makes it such a great movie or whatever is so powerful is the villain really seems like a really bad villain, right? The Joker or Darth Vader or Voldemort or whatever it is and Harry Potter, I never did that one, okay? But I mean, it's like they seem so wicked, Thanos and the Avengers. They're so evil. None of those people, all of them put together, have anything on Satan. And did you notice part of what it said? He was the most crafty. And here's the reason. Part of what is so powerful about the devil still today in our world is that most of us aren't even really sure he believes. Like, really? Like, there's some kind of powerful demon that, I don't know, I've never seen it. I've never had a talking snake in my bedroom. And yet he exercises so much power. And it's worse than anything you could imagine. Because what he's trying to do to all of us is draw us as far away from God as he can. And he's trying to emphasize the strictness of God, the negativity of God, the prohibition of God. God's just like some anal retentive teacher that just wants to shut you down and not let you have any fun. And the reality is, most of us, a lot of the time, we're kind of tempted to believe it. Now, Look at how Eve responds at first. Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Eve starts out really well. 
She says, that's not true. God said we can eat all this fruit. We just can't eat from this one tree. Hey guys, this is very practical, but it can be very helpful to you. You probably don't have a talking snake in your bedroom. But when thoughts come into your mind about disobeying God, breaking your parents' rules, doing things that you know are wrong, but they look fun, even though it would stain your conscience, the best thing you can do is remind yourself of the truth you already know. When the temptation comes to say that thing that you know it's wrong to say, or to do that thing that you know it's wrong to do, or to see that thing you know it's wrong to see, say, no, no, that's not what God wants. And God's the Lord God. He's a good God. His prohibitions are to bless me, to help me, not to hurt me. And Eve starts out well. But it's not good enough when the tempting thoughts come, guys, just to push back once. Right? I bet we could all get up here and tell a story at one time. I was tempted to do something bad, and I pushed back once. <laughs> but usually, how does that story end? And then the second time, I was like, oh, what the heck, I'll do it anyway. Satan is the very definition of perseverance. He doesn't give up easily. He will keep tempting us. He kept tempting Eve. Look at verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. So in the beginning, what's he trying to do? He's trying to confuse Eve about his word. And guys, isn't that still happening today? I won't do this, but, but if, if we did one of these things like every eye closed, every head bowed, don't look around. You know, if you look around, Connor's going to come around and slap you in the back of the head. So everybody's real serious. Going, now I won't. If you have just a tiny bit of doubt, that the Bible is literally the Word of God. All of it. You can trust it. Raise your hand. Nobody will know. It's just you being honest. I bet there'd be a lot of hands go up. A lot of people are like, really? This ancient book is all God's Word? That's what Satan wants us to do. Doubt it. And then the next thing is he wants us to doubt God's power, God's consequence. You're not going to die. God's just a big pushover. His bark is a lot worse than his bite. He ain't going to hurt you. Come on. What's the big deal? How many of us, we've been tempted to things and we think, I think I can get away with it. As long as nobody knows and I don't get caught, what's the big deal? Well, there's not consequences. These type of thoughts still go through our mind. Now, I think at this point, it's a little bit of speculation, but I think at this point, Eve was starting to think about it. And I think Satan could see it on her face. Another side note, but really practical here, guys. In your mind, when you're tempted to do something, and you know it's wrong, but you start to consider, well, if I was going to do it, right? Some of you, let's just say you've never drank alcohol in your whole life. And then some of your friends are like, there's a party, we're going, I'll buy the alcohol, you're going to spend the night at my house. Just try it, man, everybody's doing it, just do a little bit. People are making fun, right? The pressure's coming on, you're like, no, and they're like, well... Once you start thinking about it, well, hypothetically, maybe I can just have one. It won't be that big of a deal. In some sense, you've already sinned. Once you start considering sin, you've already sinned. You understand what I'm saying? Once you've started thinking that you have the right to evaluate God's Word, you've already, in a sense, put yourself in the place over God in your heart. I have a right to evaluate His Word. I have a right to think if it really applies to me. I have a right to think if it's worthy of being obeyed. When the reality is, the Word of God judges us. The Word of God looks at us and evaluates us and decides if we're worthy or not. There's the good team. 
where humanity started out. There's a bad team. Satan was recruiting us. Verse 5 is kind of a death blow. Look at this. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's basically saying, listen, God is just trying to keep you down. You know the reason He doesn't want you to eat from that one tree? It's because it's the best tree in the universe. He's holding out. You really want to be happy, you're going to have to break some rules to get there. And they do. What happens to us as humans? Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband also who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. This is just outright rebellion. I know the truth. I know the rule. And at some level, I just don't care. I'm going to do whatever the heck I want. I had a buddy in high school, and he was bad news. He was hilarious. He was fun to hang out with. It was kind of an adrenaline rush. This guy was a liar. He was a cheat. He would steal. He had plenty of money. He stole for fun. He was a vandal. He would break stuff, destroy property. He'd get in fights. I remember one time there was this party that the high school put on and the parents were trying to do, you know, and they were trying to make it feel cool, so they like rented out a club, but it was for high schoolers, and so they had a cop there at the door trying to make sure nobody's bringing alcohol, and some, some of the guys got there with this one guy, and they're like, dude, I bet you won't walk up to the cop with a beer in your hand. He's like, sure I will. He's like 16. Just walked up to him, you know, got arrested. I mean, it, it, I'll be honest, it's kind of fun to have a friend like that, Right? He's like, hey, dude, I bet you won't do this. He's like, sure I will. But he was a moron. It's just outright rebellion. I don't care. Screw the system. I'll do whatever I want. Outright rebellion. And we all are tempted to do that at different times. Guys, in some sense, what we're looking at here, this is just the story of the greatest parent of all time and two wicked, self-centered, rebellious children that said, forget you, Dad. Forget all the good stuff you've done for us. It ain't enough. We want more. And if we got to break some rules and break your heart to do it, we don't care. They start to feel, listen... Because we're made in the image of God, we know right and wrong deep down. And when we sin, there's always, at least in the beginning, a crushing sense of guilt and shame, is there not? Not just I did something wrong, but I, something's wrong with me. And guys, this is a side note. If you're struggling with your conscience, good. Repent and let it bring you back to the lover of your soul. Because if you keep sinning and rebelling against your conscience, at some point it can get so hard and so seared you don't care anymore. And it's like you can't even hear the voice of God anymore because you've hardened your heart to Him so much. That's a scary place to be. And guys, there's really two different kind, two different major categories of sin. One is what we've just looked at. It's the outward, obvious, just rebellion. I don't care. But then the second category of sin is the self-righteous cover up. Right? You look at porn, that's the outright rebellion. But then you delete your browser history, make sure, even if you're 
I'm in a new group this weekend. Everything's going great. You do whatever it takes to make yourself look right and acceptable. And this goes all the way back to the garden. Look at the middle of verse 7 there. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. They used to be best friends. They trusted each other. Not anymore. I don't trust them. She doesn't trust me. Putting the clothes on. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They're terrified of God now. They used to have a good friendship with God. Now they hate Him. Now they're scared. Their little fig leaves didn't work. And neither do any of our cover-up attempts. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? Anytime you see God in the Bible asking a question, one thing you can know for sure, He's never trying to get information, right? It's not like He's a detective. And He's like, What happened, Adam? I lost you. Where'd you go? I can't see you behind that tree over there, buddy. God knows everything. So when He asks a question, there must be a different reason. And what's He trying to do? He's trying to elicit a confession. He's trying to draw them back. It's more the longing of His heart. I love you. Everything was going great. Where'd you go? What happened to us? Have you ever sinned and maybe you know, done something wrong at school or at home or on the field or whatever, and your coach or your parent or your teacher or principal or whoever calls you in and they're like, you got anything you want to tell me? You ever had that experience? And it's like, oh, crap. You know, how much do they know? Because what I don't want to do is like confess everything and they're like, oh, I only know the first thing. I didn't know the other three things. Thanks for telling me. We're posturing. We're positioning. And so we're like, no. I mean, I've got nothing I want to tell you except... I like the shirt you're wearing, uh, you know. And they're like, hey, I know everything. I have video evidence. What, what, were, what were they doing in that moment? They were trying to let us preserve some of our dignity. Yeah, I do need to confess. I do need to tell something. And that's what God was doing with human beings. They didn't want to do it. Look at verse 10. He said, I heard you sounded in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see, and again, in the Hebrew, you don't have exclamation points. So another way that you can emphasize a word is you just put it at the front of the sentence. And that sentence there in verse 10 is literally like Adam says, you're sound. You scared me. He's not talking about his sin. He's talking about the consequences and results of sin. And he's trying to blame God. You know, a lot of what I do in my job is I work with college students and do retreats like this and Bible studies and discipleship groups. And I remember talking to a young man one time and he was talking about some of the sin in his life. And he said, you know the reason I sin so much and then I lie about it and I hide it is because I grew up with parents and they were so strict and they had so many rules. But see, the problem is, I knew this guy's parents. They're not perfect. But they're not tyrants either. It's like, nice try, buddy. I'm not going to believe the excuse that all your sin is your parents' fault. People have been trying to do that since day one. It's not my fault. It's God's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's the teacher's fault. It's the coach's fault. Somebody else's fault. It ain't my fault. It's the worst strategy in the world. Guys, because God was coming. I'm getting to the punchline. He wanted to forgive them. He wanted to have them back. But as long as we won't confess and we keep putting excuses up, it's like we're putting a hurdle between us and God, between us and mercy, between us and grace. I mean, it's 
imagine if tonight y'all are playing some stupid game out there in the barn and you fall and you crack your skull and you're like bleeding to death and the paramedics come over and they're trying to help you and you're like, don't touch me, it hurts. You're a fool. Let the paramedics touch you. They're trying to keep you alive. And that's what God was doing in the garden. He was trying to save people and they're trying to stiff arm him with their verbal excuses. And the older you get, and you go to college, and then you graduate, your excuses might get a tiny bit more sophisticated to all your friends. Hmm, that's an interesting argument you picked up in your sophomore philosophy class there. You think you're impressing God with your arguments? You're not. He sees through it all. Verse 11. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And he's putting the tea on the ball for him. Come on, buddy, just confess. One author I was reading said this. Listen to this, guys. God is so loving that He is more eager to forgive man his sin than man is to be forgiven. You hear that? We can be so stubborn and stupid and self-focused and self-centered in our sin it's sometimes like we don't even want to be forgiven. But God is so good and gracious and loving and kind and warm. He keeps chasing. He keeps pursuing. Verse 12, The man said, The woman, not my fault, her fault, whom you gave to be with me, so it's still your fault, God. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Right? If you wanted to emphasize something in Hebrew, put it at the very beginning of the sentence. Where did his confession come it's the last two words. Like, hey God, it's really Eve's fault. You know, you should have never given me that stinking woman. And it's your fault. You should. And then I guess technically I had a tiny part in it, if that even counts for anything. And Eve kind of does the same thing. Verse 13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me. And I ate. Yeah, I was discipling in college as well. And as I got to know him more, he started confessing at one point a lot of sexual sin that had been in his life in middle school for a long time. And then it stopped. But at one point he said to me, he said, you know what? I just tried to pretend it never really happened. I just tried to tell myself that wasn't real. That wasn't real. Just pushing it down. Because the shame was killing him. It won't work, guys. God knows. And the best thing we can do is run to Him and confess. Okay. What's the application tonight? Is this. There was a great pastor that just died recently named Tim Keller. And he says, True Christians repent of their sin and their self-righteousness. It's not just that you repent of the obvious outward bad rebellion. You also repent of all the little ways that you try to cover up and make yourself look better than you are. You repent of it all. And you go to God and you just say, I'm hopeless. i got nothing. And guys, one of the best things, he's like, well, you know, I have prayed before. I've prayed that old sinner's prayer and I've prayed in church and I've taken communion. And I've prayed. How do I know if it's real? One of the main ways that you can know it's real is when you quit just talking to God about it and you talk to another human being eyeball to eyeball. 
They weren't just praying to God in the sky. God was walking in the garden with them that day. And they confessed it out loud, even in front of one another. And I'm praying for some of you that this weekend, I'm not saying you've got to come on the stage and confess to the whole crowd. That probably is not a good idea. But at least the one person, a friend, a counselor, a leader, a staff, pull them aside and spill your guts. Be honest, be open, be humble about the sin in your life. I wouldn't plan on sharing this, but I will. And I'll share more of my testimony probably maybe tomorrow morning. The, the, the main turning point in my whole life, I've been alive 46 years. The main turning point in my life happened at a summer camp retreat the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of high school. And I had been living the whole party lifestyle. And I basically stood up in front of everybody and I confessed it and I said, by God's grace, I'm done. Now, it wasn't my self-will or self-control or anything like that. Just God loves to give grace to the humble who will confess. And guys, I had a counseling professor that said this, Satan will define you by your secrets. The sins you've done and the sins that maybe have been done to you, if you stuff them down, the shame will become overwhelming. You don't have to talk to everybody. You've got to talk to somebody. But look at how God responds. To Adam and Eve's sin. What does He do? He starts talking to Satan, the bad guys. Verse 14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. It just pauses here. Part of what He's saying is, Hey, Satan, you came in this garden today to recruit Adam and Eve to your team to be on the bad team. I'm not going to let you have them. They're at war with you. They're on my team still. They're broken. They're bruised. They're messed up. But I still love them. I'm keeping on my team. They're still at war with you. You didn't win. And between your offspring and her offspring, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise His heel. And that last part of verse 15, guys, is the first promise of the Gospel and of the Lord Jesus Christ in the whole Bible. Because remember what God said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 to Adam and Eve? They said, if you eat from this one tree, you're going to die. And then they ate from it, and they didn't die. In fact, God said, you're going to stay alive, you're going to have babies, you're going to have lots of babies, great, 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 great grandbabies. And if you trace it out a few thousand years, there's going to be this one great grandbaby that's going to come named Jesus. And He's going to be tempted by Satan, really worse than y'all were, but he's going to stay righteous. He'll never rebel. Not in his words, not in his deeds, not even in his thoughts. Not what he thinks, not what he feels, not what he looks at. But at the end of his life, he will be treated like the greatest rebel of all time. It's not just that he'll be stripped naked and nailed to a cross. It's that God will literally pour out hell on top of Christ for all the people on God's team. Because God is a just God. He can't just wink at sin. But He is such a loving and gracious God. He wants to have relationship and fellowship with us. We run away, but He seeks us. He comes after us. You know in this story, at first Adam and Eve tried to hide behind a tree. Remember that part, right? God's coming, and they tried to hide behind a tree. It didn't work. How stupid to try to hide behind a tree from God. 
But it really depends on what the tree is. Because metaphorically speaking, what does it mean to become a Christian? To be found by God? It's like, God, I know that I'm a rebel. I might be a self-righteous rebel, but I'm a rebel nonetheless. I deserve your anger, your wrath. I deserve hell. But because Jesus took hell for me, in a sense, I want to hide behind the cross of Christ. I want to hide behind that tree. And if you hide in Christ, you hide behind the cross, you get forgiveness full and free. Restoration to the good, warm, friendly Father. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, thank You that You are a God who seeks the lost. And You save the lost. Draw people to Yourself tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.